Live. Laugh. How's it going, everybody? This is Daniel um, with Live, Laugh, Lariat, and we are joined by the one, the only, um, Joe Black. How are you doing tonight, sir? Doing well. How about yourself, sir? Doing great, man. Super excited to talk with you. Um, a big fan. Um, I think you are one of the most underrated wrestlers, also one of the most hard-to-find wrestlers. Like, you, your footprint is is not as heavy as I think it should be out there. Um, I, I don't know if that's preferential or, or just people sleeping on you, but I'm super excited to talk with you. Um, before we start, where can everybody find you? On socials, do you have any way that people can like support you via like merch or anything else uh, you'd like to plug? Um, on Twitter, I'm at Black Cloud JB. On the Facebook, I'm Joseph Black Cloud. On Instagram, I am J Black Cloud thirty seven. All at me. I ain't got no merch, but sure. I mean, I got some old stuff. So if you guys want any of that, feel free to hit me up, and I got you. Okay, perfect. Um, so I, I guess we'll kind of dive in, but first, is is that a flash shirt that you're wearing? It is. Are you a big flash guy? Uh that is my favorite DC character. Uh what do you think of of like like I guess say listen with like last twenty years, what do you think has been the best like representation of the flash that they've put out, like whether it's TV or movies? Uh I would have to say the Flashpoint Paradox animated movie they did a few years ago. I think that is the supreme flash material out of everything they've done even the very early like i think 70s or 80s flash movie uh, a lot of people don't know about that one it's terrible but um i mean the movie was cool i guess the one that just recently came out but watch the animated movie okay. read the comic but watch the animated movie that's the best what what kind of attached you to the flash because like a lot of people are like oh batman and superman those are obvious but the flash is kind of a little bit of I'd say underrated as far as the superheroes go. I mean, Flash has his moments where, you know, he's the goofball of the group, but he also has some of the most engrossing stories. I mean, he held space-time continuum together pretty much by himself. And, I mean, Batman was my first favorite. You know, as a kid, I thought Batman was the greatest. And then I just realized that I didn't care about Batman. I liked the Joker, and I liked all his villains, not so much him. But Flash, to me, is the perennial example of what a superhero is supposed to be. Um, very close to Captain America, but I think the Flash, to me, is just cooler. Anyone that could run so fast that they can go back in time. Oh, yeah. But definitely, love Flash. Yeah, awesome. Did you like the CW show at all? I did not watch any of that. I need to. I've heard it was really good. Yeah. The time that came out, I was really, really, really heavy into wrestling, and I didn't do anything else. I didn't consume really any other media. I was just wrestling, 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 wrestling. So I need to go back and catch up on that. But I heard Greg Gustin did a really good job. So yeah, definitely yeah, want to check it out. Enjoyed the CW. Surprisingly, they put out some good stuff, like with the Arrow and all that jazz. Um, Smallville. Yeah. I, if Christian were here, you guys would probably be talking about Smallville for 10 minutes. He's a, a huge Smallville guy. Oh, Smallville. Um, yeah. I, I never got into it because, like, at least my view of it was like, oh, it's just Superman without Superman. But, yeah. Pretty much. 
But I that was like as a kid. Like I was like, oh, you told me it's a Superman show, but he doesn't like fight anybody. But like looking back on it now, I feel like you could do some really cool stories with it. So yeah, you check out the Flash, and I'll check out Smallville, and we'll we'll report back. Sounds good. Awesome. So you mentioned being really heavy into wrestling around the time that the Flash came out. But where does your origin story start with wrestling? Like, when was your first introduction? What kind of like drew you in? Uh, first introduction to being around wrestling was in 2008. Um, I worked at Walmart 2007 with a guy named Eric Royal. And okay. um, that's where we met. We were both overnight stocking Greensboro, North Carolina. I didn't know independent wrestling was really a thing then. I was just, you know, all Japan, WWE, uh, TNA. I never watched, you know, any Ring of Honor, any PWG. Eric introduced me yeah. to all of that. So he told me he was going to start a school called CWF. And I did not know that there was wrestling schools in North Carolina. I was very ignorant to the world of independence back then. So we went to a show for CWF in Greensboro and I helped set up the ring. And I mean, I've been around wrestling ever since I started training in 2009, but I came into the business in 2008 where Eric Royal. Okay. Yeah. Eric, um, I were based out of Raleigh, so very familiar with the CWF and um, all, all of the scene in that area. Um, before you got into wrestling, um, as a fan, when did that start for you? Four years old, watching uh, Taker beat Hulk Hogan. And I don't know, a lot of kids, I guess, were scared of The Undertaker. Mm. And they liked more Hulk Hogan. He's more colorful. He's like a yeah. A living cartoon character for me. I, I had Macho Man for that, who yeah. I think is a hundred times better than Hogan, but I, I, I digress. I agree. For me, Taker was just, he was like a real life, you know, comic book villain to me, but yeah. he was cool. And I was in, I was taken by it and I just started watching. My grandfather was very heavy into it. So was my dad. And it just grabbed me. You know, some people say, you know, I first seen it and I didn't, when I first saw it, I didn't understand it. It was kind of weird to me, but the more I watched it, I was like, this is, this might be the greatest thing I've ever seen. And ever since four years old, I've had some kind of wrestling activity going on in my brain, whether watching it, you know, wrestling with my sister, pretending to be Bret Hart or Shawn Michaels, there was always something wrestling going on. Yeah. And yeah, four years old. That's 32 years. Jesus. You see, you mentioned the, the comparison to comic book characters, and it kind of just clicked into my head. Like, I, I'm sure you can speak for experience, but like, there's a huge crossover between wrestlers and comic book fans. There Do you is. think that wrestling is like the closest medium that we have to comic books? Like, because like you can get other stuff, but like, have the ability to tell the stories like in comic books you have the action in comic books uh you have these larger than life characters that you can't really do on like a consistent basis like you can do with wrestling that was one of the biggest appeals to me is that i could kind of bring who i wanted to be but for some reason the real world constraints wouldn't allow me to be yeah. and i could be that person in pro wrestling i could be that larger than life you know, mm. personality. I can I can be that guy that I read in the comic book pages or the manga. Yeah. And a lot of my interests sometimes when I'm feeling, you know, up to it, 
I have a lot of character-based entrances. I've done Red Hood, you know, more, multiple Mortal Kombat characters. I've done Silent Hill, uh, Pyramid Head. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I love all these different mediums, and I felt like since wrestling gave me a platform to kind of be that superhero, I might as well kind of blend the two worlds together. So yeah, wrestling. A lot of I mean, a lot of us are comic book nerds, whether we want to admit it or not. Yeah, and. I mean, it's the closest we'll ever be to being those larger-than-life superheroes. Yeah. Um, so when you first started watching those superheroes for you, was it The Undertaker and Macho Man? Were those your guys? Yes. Definitely. About- Two ends of the spectrum. But yeah. What about Macho Man drew you in and kind of made you a huge fan? The way people see or view Hogan, that's how I view Macho Man. I think... I I couldn't even to this day really put in words the profound effect that seeing Macho Man had on me as a kid. But it's like, as a kid, your imagination being what it is, Macho Man is like everything we imagined a person would be in wrestling brought to life. He's really, I mean, that's a perfect blend between the wrestling world and the fantasy world as Macho Man. He embodied everything that i think makes a wrestler a great wrestler he he could talk he was funny you know he can have his serious moments it's like he encompassed everything that makes a perfect pro wrestler and even to this day i still take a lot of inspiration because you know a lot of guys and i know i've gotten this criticism when it's not true at all but a lot of guys take themselves way too seriously in this business Mm -hmm. and the product suffers because when that inspiration isn't there, that translates into the things you do, whether it's subtle, it could be glaring. So Macho Man was a, is a good example to me even now, yeah. you know, almost 17 years later that hey, it's, it's cool to have fun and cut loose and, you know, display that humor. And, and it's also cool that you can kind of go back to being serious and super intense. Yeah. So for me, he's just the model. Anybody that any like younger guys that ask me who should I watch, he's usually the very first name I mention. Yeah, kind of uh, to draw comparison, kind of like the Flash too. Like he can be goofy, but when you need to to save the world, Macho Man's your guy. Yeah. Uh, when you um, when you kind of started watching, was it like did it like take over your life? It's like was wrestling like all you talked about or? or or how involved were you in wrestling like as a fan growing up? It was probably about 65% of what I talked about. The other 35% was a mixture of manga and comic books and video games. But yeah, wrestling was a large chunk, especially of my youth. I mean, the DX shirts, the NWO shirts were big when I was in middle school and there was a time when there was a stigma about being a pro wrestling fr- fan, but when I was growing up, that stigma wasn't there. Everybody watched wrestling. Everybody had the Austin 316 shirts or the DX shirts or yeah. the Do You Smell shirts. Everybody in my school was wearing NWO shirts to the point where they made a rule that you couldn't wear these shirts because they started to say it was gang affiliated, which was stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, guys, everybody was doing the crotch chops, getting sent to in school suspension and Yes, yeah, 
it wasn't a stigma back then. So I don't understand how some people were like, you know, I couldn't really talk to people. But when you get older, yeah, you know, it, there is that stigma like you're a grown man and you still watch this. That's why that's how me and Eric Royal hit it off at Walmart. You know, we didn't know each other was wrestling fans. He came in the break room. Everybody's tired. He asked everybody, hey, you guys mind if I put a DVD in? Everybody said it was cool. He put in No Way Out. And from then it blew my mind. It's like there's other people that watch wrestling too. And we've been friends ever since. Yeah, I, I think there's something special about finding somebody that, especially like an adult, because it's like you've unlocked something. Yeah. Like automatically there's a bond there. You could talk to that person probably for like three hours straight and not even scratch the surface on wrestling as a whole. Definitely. Um, I do find it very interesting that Eric Royal was putting on No Way Out in the break room at Walmart. That's that's a fan. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and you you saw the faces of the other people in the break room. It was like, yeah. you guys are really sitting here, like, yeah. you know, marking out for this. But it was, to me, I was like, man, it just really blew my head away. This, there's someone else that watches wrestling that's my age. So it's, it's just crazy yeah. to me. Do you remember which No Way Out it was? I don't remember which one you'd have to ask him. I'm sure he would remember, but yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, you mentioned video games. Um, as far as like childhood, what are some of your favorite video games of like all time? I think my favorite, and this is hard. I think my favorite, I would have to say is metal gear solid one mm -hmm. followed closely by final fantasy eight. I didn't say seven. I know that's going to, blow some people's minds but the first one i ever played was eight and i love eight yeah um i was into mega man heavy as a kid i was into street fighter heavy as a kid which you know anybody that knows anything about street fighter lore should be able to look at me and the things i've done and say yeah that dude's definitely in the street fighter um yeah i'm a very big fighting game rpg buff but metal gear solid to me it's the greatest game ever created. It's out there, but it's that and Resident Evil too. So I don't know which one to pick from that, but yeah. It's a, it's a very good list. Are you playing anything currently? Right now I'm downloading the RoboCop video game. Is that a new one? Yeah. I just got finished with um, Spider-Man 2. So now I'm going to relive my childhood playing RoboCop. That's awesome. Uh, was there a moment of crossover for RoboCop with you when they did the WCW, or were you not watching at that point? I hated that. <laughs> I hated that shit. It just, I don't know. Even though wrestling is a very welcoming world to wacky, to me, I was just it's like, man, this is too much. Like, this is corny. Although the kids thought it was cool, but I'm like, you guys have never watched RoboCop, and you don't understand how violent it is to <laughs> see this it just doesn't compute to me yeah wrestling definitely is is a goofy world and it, i'm sure some people can have that same opinion about like wrestling like or like maybe like an mma fighter goes over to wrestling or stuff like that so like to look at the other side of the coin where wrestling is is taking away from like the seriousness of, of a, something i never thought about but yeah that was definitely wcw at the, at the time um yeah so um, did you always like cause, uh, or, like a recurrent theme that we hear is like people always know they want to be a wrestler, but they're not aware of the independence. They're not aware that schools exist. 
they don't really know how to go about it. And usually there's like a moment, like it sounds like with you and Eric Royal that you feel like, Oh, I can actually do this. But is that something you always wanted to do in the back of your mind? It was, um, I believe it was 2000 and was it, it was Royal rumble 2003. And it was, um, I know it's taboo to speak about, but the greatest match I've ever seen uh-huh. was Kurt Angle versus Chris Benoit, Royal Rumble 03, I believe it was. And he lost. They came back from commercial break, and like he was getting a standing ovation. And I think that was the first time I saw that in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it was that exact moment where I made it up in my head I have to be a pro wrestler. Like I've always loved it. Everybody has a moment where they could tell you when they fell in love with wrestling. Yeah. For me, that was the Undertaker versus Hogan. But there's also a distinct moment where they said, I have to do this. And seeing that match, it just blew my mind. It's like I said to me, it's the greatest wrestling match of all time. And after that, I said, I have to try. I have yeah. to. I don't know how, but I have to I have to try. Okay, so that was 2003. You kind of start your wrestling journey in 2008, 2009. So what happens in between that that time period? Uh, graduated from high school in 2005, immediately enrolled in college. I was working overnights where I met Eric at Walmart to pretty much put myself through college. Uh-huh. So I guess everybody has that moment where even though this is their dream, you know, you graduate high school and the real world kicks you right in the ass and you you have rent to pay now. You you have to buy a car. You have to pay your car note. And, yeah. You know, I didn't. I still watch wrestling. I, I was still a fan of it, but at that point, I was like, man, I'm a grown man now. I'm living on my own. So I wasn't even thinking about pursuing wrestling. And even if I did, like I said, I didn't know that there were like schools so close to me. Because I mean, Burlington is 15 minutes from Greensboro. So yeah. to know that there was just a school that close. But yeah, that was the years where I was miserable because, hey, we all had those responsibilities and it kind of saps the joy out of life, especially being so young. Yeah. So, so you kind of have this, this period of like when life gets real, I think everybody can identify with that time, especially like you have these, even if it's not wrestling, you have a dreams of going pro in football, you have this stuff. And then you kind of have to like set it aside for the real world. Um, You meet Eric. What was the moment like when you realized that this is something that you could do? Was it immediately like I'm in or did it take some time to kind of get you on board? It took some time mainly because, you know, I've always been a realist and I'm, I'm brutally honest with myself. Like I'm five foot six at the time I was maybe 120 pounds it's so like there's nothing that sticks out about me to where I would be the type of wrestler that I always envisioned being and dreamed of being. Uh-huh. No one's going to take me seriously. So, you know, especially going to CWF and seeing that, you know, there were guys, you know, you had Kazi and then you had Lee Valiant, guys who were on the smaller side. So to me, it's like, man, Joey Sylvia is my height. I, I, I can do this. But it was that year of watching CWF. And kind of building that confidence where even if I don't make it big, uh-huh. I owe it to myself, you know, the inner child to at least try. Yeah. So funny story. I honestly, I was flirting with the idea all 2009 and 
come April, I was working at Walmart again, another Walmart doing cart attending, and I was miserable. Yeah. Lee Valiant pulls up, and in the car, he has Paul London and Brian Kendrick. They're doing a show at CWF uh-huh. that Saturday, I believe. This is Thursday or Friday. And Paul London looks at me and says, Hey, man, you want to hop in a car, come with us? Or you want to keep pushing these carts? And at that moment, I didn't even I didn't go to a manager and quit. I just hopped in the car with them That's and left. Right. And ever since then, I was I've been a pro wrestler. So I guess I can blame it on Brian Kendra and Paul London and me just walking out of Walmart in the middle of my shift. That that sounds like a storybook. Like that's a movie. Like <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh uh, I love Paul London, by the way. I don't think he gets enough credit for how he does He's so good, and yes, I love like I. I started watching during the time when he was like with Kendrick and the tag team, um, and I loved him. And then he just kind of disappeared, and I was like, "That's a a dude that yeah. I think more people should talk about." Um, what was that car ride like? It was as a wrestling fan, it blew my mind because I loved London and Kendrick, you know. And then watching, you know, London's earlier ROH run. Yeah, you know, since Eric introduced me to ROH, I was obsessed with it. So I was almost like a gopher going through all the you know DVDs that I could, and I love London stuff. So to be in a car with these guys, thinking, you know, I'm, my mom's gonna be pissed. Yeah, I literally just walked out on the job, but at the same time, like these are guys I watched on SmackDown. These are guys that you know I watched in Ring of Honor wrestling low key and Brian Danielson and having great matches. And now they're giving me a little bit of game. And, you know, one thing that always sticks with me is Brian Kendrick said, you know, sometimes the things we do don't really make sense. But, you know, a life where everything makes sense seems kind of boring. Right. Yeah. And the more I thought about that, I was like, man, that's gospel. So, I mean, I marked out the entire car ride. I couldn't believe I was in the car with those dudes. And it was one of the coolest moments of my career, bar none. Yeah. Uh, do you- Sorry, that that is a crazy story. Like it's crazy. <laughs> I love it. That like that's that's so wrestling. Like it is. would that kind of thing happen? Like there's no other job where like like LeBron James pulls up is like, hey, you want to go? You want to go? You want to go be go the Lakers? Like that wouldn't happen to any other profession. But it like no. wrestling. It's like yes, that that makes total sense. Um, yeah. Do you start training right away there, or like, or how does the process start for when you actually start training? I believe that that was a Friday and I started training that Sunday. And, you know, I, at that point, you know, I just quit my job, obviously. So I didn't have the money to pay for training. And Jeff Rudd, who used to run CWF was like, Hey man, you've been around since 2008. You've helped set up the rings, tear down the rings. You've been a gopher for the boys. They needed food. You've been a bump dummy for, you know, Ryan O'Reilly coming through, trying crazy moves. Yeah. You know, you don't, we're not going to, don't worry about it. You know, you're part of the family already. Just get in the ring. Let's get it going. So it was almost immediately because in my head, you know, I quit my job. I might as well make something try with this now. I have no choice. Yeah. So um, it seems like you may have had like a little bit of experience over that past year, at least being in the ring. Um, yeah. Did that help you as far as like your training start or was it still like kind of like a system shock? Yeah. It only helped me with the bumping. So I had that advantage over everybody else that was that was starting out. It's like yeah. I already know how to bump. I've been getting thrown around for a year. But you know, hitting the ropes and taking and giving 
arm drags and it was still i still woke up the next day pissing blood oh, you sure. know so i remember calling eric saying i can barely walk you know i'm, I'm peeing blood I, is this normal and he's like yep welcome to wrestling mm-hmm. and you know me being a man of pride there was multiple times where i'm like man i think i'm gonna give up because when i was coming up in my training class this guy named ben tyler used to tra- uh tag with trevor lee you know there was a mecca mercenary and then across the way it was cedric alexander caleb conley with george south yeah and then you know hangman page he was adam page then he was coming down from virginia he was a uh, i think the tag team was the uh, virginia bombers so he was coming into cwf and i'm thinking like all these guys are amazing and i can't i can't keep up with trevor or chiva kid or you know cedric so in my head i started getting discouraged and then i remembered that you know all the best wrestlers to me were the ones that could talk and i kind of had that advantage over everybody else it's like man i'm a theater trained actor talking is easy i remember some guys with dread promo class not me that was in my head that was my time to shine but that was literally the only thing that kept me in wrestling is like i'm really good at this so even though i can't springboard i can't flip i can't do all those super athletic things they can do i still know how to bump pretty good and i know how to talk really well so that was my niche but before that it it was tough it was really really tough so you mentioned you were a theater trained actor can you talk me through a little bit more of that did a lot of plays coming up whether they were church plays school plays i've written and produced my own plays um you know as a kid i i was i was you know if you've seen last action hero i was that kid like i was obsessed with movies obsessed with wrestling video games that the fantasy world as my mom called it but you know watching terminator 2 as a kid or you know watching denzel and soldier story or something to me it's like i can do that you know watching eddie murphy i used to do stand up at like family functions my grandma had this raised fireplace and i would treat it like a stage and i would do impersonations and i would do comedy shows so you know my mom enrolled me in some theater classes and that was my way to learn how to improv and pantomime and how to you know kind of like not necessarily a lot of guys the reason why i think their characters don't resonate is they're memorizing who they should be instead of just being that person so being in theater taught me to find this person's motivations, give this person, give this person a motivation if he doesn't have one, make it your own. So yeah. all that when I started wrestling was cakewalk. You the athletic things, the physical things, and maybe not so much, but everything else. Yeah. It kind of tied everything together. What was your first kind of character like? Oh my God. I think uh it was it was Joseph Blackwell. And I don't know what the hell I was trying to do. Um, Eric found a Davy Richards towel at after some convention. I was a big Davy Richards mark, and I used to come out with that towel on my head like I was Taz, and yeah. had rosaries, and I did some very tuxedo mask type shit, and would throw a rose on a person after I beat him. I was I was all over the place, and then I was dark kamikaze kid and wore a mask for a little bit. And then it just got to a point where I'm like, man, the crowd really don't give a shit about me. It was like, what is it? And then I, every wrestler finds this point where they're trying too hard and it's not working. 
and they stop giving a fuck and then they find that that person they become when they stop caring yeah hey, that's the person they need to be so i've i've went through different incarnations and eventually brad stuff was like you're joe black you yeah. know joe's a black well the this the, it doesn't work just be joe black and i was like but that's a brad pitt movie yeah the people are gonna roast me for it he was like doesn't matter and then I, i've been joe black and stopped giving a shit and i started to resonate with people what do you attribute like i guess what does stop giving a shit look like for for you at that time like when you go to the ring you're you're kind of character or lack of at that point it was more just me like you know everybody says the best character is you dialed up but literally that's the yeah. mantra i live by um I, I i told myself if i care too much i rob them of caring for me mm-hmm. because if i care too much i'm not allowing the crowd to care for what i'm doing but if i give the air or the aura that i don't care and that i'm so intense that i throw caution to the wind and i don't care about living or dying and all that edgelord sounding shit yeah then i'll either elicit booze because how can someone live with such an ideology or i'll elicit cheers because hey i wish i could live and be like that guy but yeah. i have too many real world responsibilities but this is the guy i want to live vicariously through so i wouldn't walk out to the ring and do anything animated like i used to i would just walk out to the ring kind of look around heal or baby face it's like yeah i made it a point that i'm coming to fight all the extra shit I, i'm not here for i'm doing all the extra shit now because i'm on my way out and i'm having fun with it but it was yeah. very you know stoic i guess you would say um very dynamite kid just stone face was getting the ring and go and then i have this moment where i tap into an intensity where i'm actually the con the the prospect of battle is really is fueling me to the point where you i take joy from it mm-hmm. so it's like okay if he's stoic and then he gets more into the match and he starts laughing sardonically and you know yeah. telling people to hit him a la joker or something of the sort now there's there's a layer there so over the years i just added layers on top of that mm. and here i am now awesome um yeah that, that i think that that makes a lot of sense as far as like i think basically everything you say I, I, good good shit all around um at what point do you kind of start branching out from cwf and start moving on to like traveling more getting in the car and going to different shows I met William Huckabee. Um, it's a guy from North Carolina, used to be in North Carolina heavy. He's part of all-star special now down here in Georgia, but, um, he came to a JJ Dillon seminar at CWF and I had a match with Trevor Lee, um, on the show and everybody was kind of kissing my ass about the match. And he came up and he pulled me to the side and he was like, look, man, you're 130 pounds. You shouldn't be doing German suplexes. You're not, you're not dynamite kid. You're not Benoit. No one believes those clotheslines or those chops. You need to add like 30 more pounds of muscle than I'll believe you. And that was his critique. And I remember thinking like, who the hell even is this guy to even, mm-hmm. you know, give me this critique. So I remember he reached out a couple of weeks ago and was like, Hey, I'm going to a place called NWA Smoky Mountain in Kingsport, Tennessee, you need to hop in a car because you need to get out of Burlington and start branching out. That was my very first, you know, show in a different state. 
and um, went out there, stole the show, and you know the rest is history. So it started with traveling with William Huckabee. Yeah. So how do you respond to that critique that you need to that that he gave you? I'm very prideful, so I took it as an insult to my pride. Even though everything he said were things I was thinking myself. Uh-huh. You know, to hear it brought out and said by someone else kind of, you know, kind of enraged me at, at a point. I'm like, man, I, but why am I then? I thought, why am I pissed off? It's true. Yeah. So I started hitting the gym a lot harder. I mean, I was at the point where eating was making me miserable because I had to eat X amount of grams of protein and carbs. But after like a year, two years, three years, I steadily added on some mass. Yeah. And then it got to a point where eventually Huck was like, hey, man, when we wrestle, I might let you give me a German suplex because now you look strong enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it took I think from the point he said I was too small to do it to that point was three and a half years. But yeah. to me, it was like, even though this this guy's opinion, I'm making it seem like it doesn't matter. But to me, I was like, finally, that there's the validation that I needed. That's great. Um yeah, I, I never really thought about like the German suplex. Like, like wrestling is all about realism and telling the story, and everybody can do the moves. But it, like, I never really put it together. Like, does it make sense that that person's doing the move? Exactly. So, uh, really cool insight there. Um, that three-year period, what is kind of happening as far as your wrestling career goes? The three-year period of traveling, or or like in between. Uh, when he said that and when he finally gave you the like approval to it's kind of like i started instead of just wrestling i'm wrestling my friends i'm just gonna do some cool moves you know um you know my family's here let me look cool for them it went from that to i actually want to learn so every booking that he had on the road it didn't matter if it was tennessee west virginia i went sometimes i was wrestling shitbirds sometimes i got lucky and got to wrestle jason kincaid yeah um so I learned from every wrestler that I wrestled, regardless of their perceived talent level, I was, I try to get some, something from them. I met, you know, Shane Douglas at a show in West Virginia, and I'm pretty sure I annoyed him just asking questions that I was asking, saying what Al Snow at one show in West Virginia. I tried to glean as much information as I could from those travels and those matches in turn of using, you know, all that motivation in the gym. So some days I don't want to be in there. Even now I don't like working out, but it's those little words. We're like, okay, I have the advice. Now I have to put towards the action to make it actually mean something. I can't use it because I still don't fit the bill physically. So I have all this advice. All I got to do now is get in the gym for a couple of years, dedicate myself to it. And all the while I'm getting better in the ring. I'm getting better at calling matches on the fly, wrestling all types of guys. So by the time I added on the mass, I was already being respected because I knew how to work. So it was almost like Huck said that to incense me enough to motivate me to actually go to the gym. And then for him saying, you know, you can German suplex me now. I was like, wow, I didn't even notice that I made this much progression because all I'm looking at is the in-ring aspect of everything. How how was that German suplex? Was it a good one? It was. That dude, like, I didn't wait for him to jump. I just threw him as hard as I possibly could. And I remember I was pinning him. He called, he cussed at me. He said something, but it, it ended with motherfucker. 
And <laughs> after he sold up, it was one of the stiffest chops I've ever gotten wrestling. He chopped me so hard, he broke his hand on my chest. Ooh. And I had to literally roll out the ring and sit in the crowd for a couple minutes because that chop really, really, really fucked me up. Oh, I bet. But it was a good German suplex. Awesome. Um, yeah, I I have a fascination with chops. Like, because I feel like that's, you can't fake anything that goes with a chop. Mm -hmm. uh, like, you could, like, you leave, they leave marks. Um, like, that's like the most realist aspect. Who are some of like the people that you think give out the hardest chops uh, in wrestling? Kento Kobashi, um, Samoa Joe, Roderick Strong, Anthony Henry, and James Drake. Their chops, man. Rob Killjoy, William Huckabee, me. Um, there was a guy named Brass Monkey from CWF back in the day that. His chops would just instantly split guys' chests open. Um, I think all time hardest chop has to be Kenta Kobashi, though. It's yeah. I would hate to be chopped. I mean, I wouldn't hate it because I love Kenta Kobashi, but yeah, I can't imagine that at all. Oh yeah, I like. I guess over the last year, I kind of started getting into Kobayashi, and like some of the matches, like there's a match he had with uh, Masawa. Where they're just throwing each other around with no regard for anybody's safety, just like beating the absolute shit out of each other. It's and insane for like an hour too. Yes, uh, I know exactly which match you're talking about. <laughs> uh, and Masawa is just flinging himself off stuff, and then just oh. yeah, good stuff though. Um, at this point in your career, like who are your biggest influences? Like who were like you started out trying to be like the the Benoit, like those types. Who at this point who are you trying to to emulate in the rig? Uh probably Suzuki because he does the most with the least. Um he's not taking, you know, he's not taking it easy, but he knows what his capabilities are and he knows what his strengths are. Well, you know what your strengths are as a wrestler. It, it sets you apart. I mean, it sets you apart. Um, I injured myself in 2019. You know, I tore my ACL. And ever since then, my mobility wasn't what it used to be. I can't run and dive anymore, do like I used to do. But, you know, now I can throw these chops and these forearms and these snap suplexes and little things that I make seem more impactful than they really are. And yeah. Suzuki's the same way. I mean, his biggest move is a forearm, but people go, ape shit whenever he does it so i learned from him you don't have to go out there and you know blow your load in the match give them something that they can go home and talk about for the next two or three weeks whether that's something you say in a promo whether that's a really stiff chop or form they're going to talk more about that than they're going to talk about you know the triple canadian gimmick that somebody did yeah, they see that on aew they see it on wwe but what they don't see is someone get hit so hard that sweat flies off of their head and it yeah. makes a murderous gunshot noise. Oh, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, I, just on a sidebar, talking about hitting hard, I, I was looking over your cage match to prepare for this and saw that you got to wrestle, um, I think it was somewhat recently, um, Calvin Tankman. Mm. Talk about a dude that hits hard. Um, what's What's it like? Because uh, like there are matches I've seen with him where he hits somebody, and it's almost like, how are they alive right now? 
he hit me like that a few times. And there were times where I'm like, hey, Calvin, man, give me give me a second. <laughs> like, you're a little younger than me. You're more spry. Like, give me. But no, nah, Calvin is one of those guys where I don't understand how he's not all over the world right now. That dude is so good and so believable. And to me, that's a trait that you can't teach. You can't learn to be believable. You're either believable because it's something that's in you. It's an aura. Or you're not. And to me, Calvin, it's like O'Shea. It's like you got guys who you just look at and you're like, man, I believe that he can kick everybody's ass. And to me, that makes you, that sets you apart. Yeah. Yeah. I Next level, like from his entrance to when the, when the Tupac song hits and the whole crowd singing along. And he just the moment he steps through the curtain, he has you in the palm of his hands. Exactly. Uh, definitely a great talent. Um, I, I typically, when we get to these parts of the interview, I kind of hop around a little bit. Um, I want to talk about uh, the the Black Cloud family. Um, we're very fortunate to have gotten to work a lot with Tim. Um, Tim is amazing. Um, yes. uh, talk us through the the origin of the Black Cloud and kind of what that means uh, to you and like kind of what it has become over the years. It started with, like I said, as a kid, I'm heavy into video games. I was playing Street Fighter versus X-Men and been playing it for a couple of days. I rented it from Blockbuster. I know I'm dating myself, but um, and I was just going on a character select screen and, and a, there's a hidden block and I see this guy. He has red hair and his name's Akuma. And as a kid, something about his design just stuck with me. He's like the coolest video game character I ever saw. He had this red hair, darker skin, and he had these beads. And he was just a badass. Like he had this look where if you picked him, you could beat anybody. Yeah. So I remember when I was at the, the drawing board, so to speak, that every wrestler goes to where they're like, this isn't working. I need to think of something else. And I got booked to do PWF by Steve Carino. Uh-huh. And I was like, I need to do something where I stand out, where I at least have an appearance of someone that's different. So I'm scrolling the interwebs and I see these little small Akuma beads. So I'm thinking, okay, you know, I think that will accentuate my look. I've already wrestled with the scarf around my waist and I think that'll complete the look. And ever since then, those beads have kind of taken on a, a life of their own. And for me, it was just a design choice. Of course, they meant something to me but to see how people regarded them then yeah. and to how they they're regarded now is just crazy like the black cloud name was just kind of like i'm an unlucky presence yeah. of whoever i wrestle i'm the black cloud over your picnic day i remember saying that and passing in a, a a promo at cwf and i remember stutzy saying that's a good line and i just started calling myself the black cloud and then with the beads it just kind of made me seem like I always wanted to seem like a larger than life comic book type character. Now in my head, I have the image that I want. I've been chasing since I was six or seven years old. This is the guy I would draw my notebook in class. Like I've become that guy and seeing Tim, I was there when he first stepped in the ring and I remember telling him, you remind me of Cedric. Like you, you move like Cedric, like, you have such a future because you just you're athletically insane. It makes no sense. And 
you know, he's ever since then, he regards me as his sensei. And I remember when O'Shea was training with Murder One um, after he trained with Robert Gibson. And I remember him being young in the game, me looking at him like this guy's going to be a world traveler. He just he gets it. I said the first thing. The well, first thing I said when I saw Alex Kane at Pro South in Alabama was, "This guy's gonna make a lot of money." Yeah, it's like everybody has his quality, and I don't know what the quality is to really put in words, but they all have this quality where success is assured. It's not one of those. I wonder if the Infinite Man will be. Tim could do anything he wants in wrestling. Yeah, as long as he puts his mind to it and manifests it, and he creates it. Same with O'Shea and Alex Kane and like all those guys, everything I wanted to be in wrestling, those dudes are and yeah. then some. So to me, my legacy is I inspired some of the greatest independent talent who will go on to be world talent. Yeah. They found some inspiration in me. To me, that's the coolest thing I've done in 16 years. Yeah. So. How do you how do you see it now? Because like those beads are almost a rite of passage now. Um, yeah. I'm I'm sure you're familiar, but Tim had a match with Jackson Drake recently, and he passed the beads over. It's almost like it's more like you said you were just scrolling on the internet, and now these beads are like you you see those, and it's automatically like this person you respect them because you know that to have those beads they had to earn them. Uh, what has that been like for you to like see like? the tradition continue on with others it's crazy i did it in passing the first one was o'shea we had a match in mississippi and i just remember thinking after this match like this dude's gonna be a star like yeah. he's gonna be he's he's it and i i gave him the very it was the second pair of beads i ever owned and i just i gave it to him i said you have the respect for the culture like i do because we're both heavy in the Japanese culture and lore. Yeah. I was like, you take these to places I won't be able to. And he did. And, you know, he's considered, he continued the tradition with Alex Kane. Yeah. Who Alex Kane is a world champion, you know? And then Timmy was next. We had a match in Georgia. He wasn't expecting it. Usually you get it after the match. I gave him his beats before the match. And, I remember, and it's the most profound moment in my career, but when I gave him the beats, he just kind of stood there. He didn't move. He didn't say anything. And it was probably the most beautiful moment yeah. that I will ever have because to me, they're beats, you know, uh, they look cool. But to him, to O'Shea, they treated it like, man, now I'm one of the guys. I, I can go. And now when people see someone with those beats, they're like, oh, man. I know you're good. I know you're, I know yeah. you can go. And it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, another one, we're very fortunate. Merrick Donovan just moved to the, the North Carolina scene. Um, we're actually having him on next week. So uh, it'll be kind of fun to have you guys back to back. But uh, yeah, like that was a guy that I was familiar with. Saw the pitcher, saw the beans. It's like, okay, this dude, I need to check out. Um, so that, that's gotta be awesome to like, see something like you said started as an aesthetic choice has now become like like this a, a certain standard in wrestling yeah. especially um so uh, we've i feel like your career has been so long and it's hard to like it's easy to track the beginnings and kind of like where you start but then you kind of it's like when you're swimming in the beach 
like it's easy to stand but then next thing you know you're out in the ocean and there's so much to talk about so i i just kind of want to open things up what are like a few of like your favorite moments that you've been able to have over your wrestling career i know we just talked about a few with like with the beads but like who are some of like your favorite matches or favorite moments or do you have any like favorite stories any match i've had with cedric alexander is amazing um i think any match that i've had with chip day those are the matches that made me level up in wrestling um the matches i've had with anthony henry caused fans to try to fight me in particular yeah. um so that's how intense me and anthony get um as far as moments i remember you know i got steve carino's email address from a guy named jojo dancer that worked for him uh -huh. and i sent him this super like professional resume and he messaged back he said that was the best resume i ever got i'm gonna book you off of that That's and to me i'm like man this is this is steve carino former world champion he liked my resume you know and then i, I wrestled his cruiserweight champion and you know he wasn't there so that kind of bummed me out but you know thomas Simpson told him like this joe black guys he's really good so to be able to be mentored by steve was crazy i didn't have to pay for an roh camp like i remember he asked me are you going and i said yeah can't afford it he said i didn't ask you that I was asked if you're going so i went and you know that's how my relationship with ring of honor got started was because of steve and his belief in me um so that was cool i was in the same locker room with jushin thunder liger and like that blew my mind and then um i did some work in texas with booker t for reality of wrestling i came in i was super nervous because as a as a black man in wrestling booker t is the greatest not the greatest black wrestler he's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time but to a black kid watching wcw harlem heat was i mean those were gods on earth to us yeah so for me to be able to you know and it's not just i worked with booker t he he saw a match i had with chip day at pwx he wanted that match on his show so he sought me out because of a match he saw so to me i'm like wow booker knows who i am yeah. and then i had my first match of reality wrestling and he does his locker room meetings at the end of the show and i remember him saying at the time i was joe a gal because christopher daniels told me joe black was you know that's a brad pitt movie dude you can't you can't be Joe Black. So come up with something else. So I came up with Joe Agal. And he said, we need more guys like Joe. You know, we, we need more people like him with his dedication. And he put me over in a locker room meeting. And I remember, and no one knows this part. Um, I told Huck to just go start the car. I was going to go to the bathroom real quick. And man, I, I bawled my eyes out. Because to me, you know, eight-year-old Joe just heard Booker T put him over after seeking him out because of a match he had so at that point i said man if i never wrestle again i'm fulfilled yeah and then seeing tim and how he's evolved the same with o'shea and seeing alex kane go from an a4 guy trying to get bookings to a world champion you know seeing merrick donovan starting to get his due because that kid that kid is scary good and i think we're just we're not even at the tip of the iceberg with Merrick Dotman. And just to see all these guys that look at me as the OG now, Trey Havoc, you know, Movie Mike, Alexander Moss, who, you know, is another amazing talent. Of course. I think that 
those are the moments where I'm like, man, I'm respected. You know, I, I've created a legacy, you know, trying to be a street fighter character. I created my own legacy. And those are the moments that stick out. Eddie Kingston chopping me in the throat in, you know, the Cornelia building that's famous for NWA Wildside was yeah. crazy. Um, also, I blacked out in the match with Eddie Kingston where we just went straight Benoit Regal at the Pillman Memorial Show and started shoot headbutting each other and we just got really too into the match. Love Eddie. Yeah. And seeing that one of my OGs is one of the top guys in wrestling is cool. So oh yeah. A lot of cool moments. I mean, I was mentored by Casey McKnight, who now he's Dax from the revival to see that he is one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time now. Mm. That's crazy to see Trevor Lee on my TV is crazy. When Cedric got the um, please sign Cedric chant at the Cruiserweight Classic, I cried when Triple H came out because to me, you know, the greatest, the best of us made it. Yeah. Um, you know, see all the things Caleb Conley has done. All those to me are great moments because I love it when people that I know who are grinding, who didn't get taken seriously, who were told you're too small or you're not going to make it, whatever, whatever. Now they're millionaires and they're on TV and doing all this cool stuff it's just those are what make the moments to me yeah that's awesome uh i don't think i could have asked for a better answer for that very vague question so thank you for that um it, it's very cool how obviously you care about wrestling and giving back and um and i don't know like yeah it's, it's very cool sometimes i kind of i don't know i i've it's almost like my computer resets, um, <laughs> but uh, but that that's very awesome. Um, so um, one of the people that like similar to you um, when we started doing this has been really influential to us is Mark James, the guy that introduced uh, both of us. Um, Mark James is I can only describe him as like a motherfucker, like <laughs> like a super great guy, but not somebody you want to fuck with. Do you have a James story from back in your CWF days uh, that you could share with us. I met him through, I met him before I met William Huckabee, but Huckabee knew him as sticks. Yeah. I guess that was one of his um, first gimmick names coming up. Can I tell and, you about sticks? Hmm? Real quick? Can I tell you about sticks? What actually Please. was so sticks uh, was his original character and it was, uh, he was into the rave scene when he lived in California so it was a rave character. Uh, I've only known him as the brute, so that's a little difficult for me to <laughs> picture. But that's what Stick started out as. So anytime I can share that, I'm happy to. So yeah, Huck was like, you know, next time you see Sticks, tell him I said hi. And I was like, all right, cool. So I met Mark James, and um, I was like, what's up, Sticks? Huckabee says hi, and he was like, the fuck did you call me? <laughs> And I remember freezing because you meet a lot of people in wrestling who like to perpetuate the image of a badass. And, you know, a lot of those guys kind of laughable, but Mark is a legitimate badass. So it was like, when he was like, what the fuck did you call me? I froze. Like, am I going to have to fight this guy now? I really yeah. don't want to. And he was like, I'm just fucking with your kid. And then, you know, ever since then, he, he took me under his wing, man. And I learned a lot of shit from Mark James. And he would tell you the shit that nobody else was willing to. 
He didn't gloss anything. He didn't sugarcoat it. If I asked him how a match was, he wasn't going to say, well, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm going to blow smoke up your ass. He'd be like, man, I really didn't like it. And it really wasn't any good, but I'm going to tell you why. So you can not do it again and be better. So out of all the straight shooters I've met, Mark is the guy. Like he, he's definitely someone I consider one of my mentors. Like the, the way people look at me, that's the way I look at sticks, man. He, he's the big yeah. homie. I love Mark James. That that guy, yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, he everything that you said, I can attest to. Like he he's taken us under his wing. Like when like he had no right to. Like we are nobodies. Like we are two guys that started a podcast that he was on, and he's made a huge investment in like helping us and introducing us to new people. So That's what uh, he does. love Mark James. Um, funny dude, we have. Um, like an inside joke with him that he's constantly name dropping stuff and he doesn't realize how cool it is. Like <laughs> when Terry Funk passed away, he was like, yeah, I remember the time that I got drunk with Terry Funk and Ricky Morton in the back of, I was like, do you realize how insane that is right now? And he's like, Oh, I, like he has no idea. But like, I think Mark is just this larger than life dude who like that dude loves wrestling and he, 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 does. Loves, he tries to leave it in a better place like what you're doing with with uh and it, it's very obvious that mark has been in your life because it i don't know how much for credit you would give him to what you do but um very similar as far as like the styles that you guys have you give him a lot of that credit because that's what he was doing when we met him you know he he said, oh, man, I'm trying to leave it better than it was when I found it because when he came into the business and huck has told me the same story you didn't have guys with tenure who was willing to really take you on a road and take you under their wing. You had to prove it by getting your ass beat. You know, Mark had to get his ass beat by Scrapyard Dog for years to prove he was that guy. And, you know, Huck was getting his ass beat by guys like Mark James and Casey McKnight. And he was like, you're lucky because you got guys like Sticks that's just like, you know, come here, kid. Let, let me learn you a thing or two. He's like, back in the day, to get that kind of uh, guidance, you had to get your ass beat by him a few times. So I'm spoiled. I, I love Mark. So now I'm kind of that guy. Like, I don't want to be those vets that are unapproachable and think they're, you know, the shit. And I've been doing it for 18 years. Like, I don't care. I, I try to be accessible. Send me your matches. Send me your promos. You know, like with Merrick Donovan, you're looking for a booking. Let me see what I can do for you. Yeah. Just paying it forward because that's what it's supposed to be as a vet that's what you're supposed to do i learned that from mark yeah um as a vet and like if if somebody who's like kind of new in the business or thinking about getting in the business um if you had like one thing that you wish people had told you when you started what would you tell them hmm have a backup plan i mean i know that's kind of redundant but you know, once, God forbid, if your leg goes or there's a there's a lot of variables pursuing this that we don't take into account because we're in a wrestling ring. We don't care about we're invincible in that moment. Yeah. And I mean, I was close. A lot of people don't know this, but I was close to getting a contract in 2019. And then I blew my knee out. You know, once that happens, you're kind of unless you're really, really, really world known. Yeah. Once your knee goes, that that's it. You know, you 
you know, WWE gives a physical. And if you have damage around your knee, they're not going to, you're seen as damaged goods. So have a backup plan. Number one, you know, just in case you're not destitute living out of a hotel room like I did because, you know, you quit your job to be a pro wrestler. Always have a backup plan. And I think I wouldn't say this piece of advice is more important than that, but have fun. Just remember why you you're doing this. Like, don't take it so seriously to where it's a job because then you're obligated to do it. None of us want to go to work, but we're obligated to do it. You don't want to give that type of a uh, image or that energy to a crowd yeah. because they'll, they'll, they'll notice that if you are out there because you got booked and you don't want to, you know, cancel your booking or you just want to get paid. They're going to sense that. And more importantly than not, why are you doing this? If you're not enjoying it, think of the damage we're doing to our bodies. Have fun. Third piece of advice, be yourself. Just be you, whoever you are, dial it up in the ring. Don't try to be anybody else. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. Maintain who you are. And those are the very, those are the three biggest tenets that I can give you as an aspiring pro wrestling, but please definitely have a backup plan. Yeah. Just in case. Yeah. Uh, it's never, never a bad idea. Um, and you mentioned earlier in the conversation, like offhandedly, I think you said like you're entering, I wouldn't say the end of your career, but the backside of your career, um, you're, you're now, you have a wrestling school where, where you're, you're training kids. What is, what is the rest of your career look like? Or like, what are your goals and aspirations um, that when you like hang up the boots that you wanted to have said that you've done? I've done it. Um, I've been inspirational to some folks, influential to others. Um, I created a legacy with some of the best talent in the world, um, representing the brand now, and now it's theirs and they can run with it, but I created a legacy. Um, I've had every, you know, except for the Suzuki match, every match that I've ever wanted, I've had in some form or fashion, I've met my heroes. And more importantly, I gained my heroes respect. I've had WWE tryout matches, so I've, I can say that I've wrestled in a SmackDown ring. I've never told this story, and hopefully James Drake won't kick my ass or try to for telling the story. Yeah. But um, SmackDown in Charlotte, it was a couple years ago, I want to say 2017, we had a tryout match. We were the very last tryout match, and we just did what we've done multiple times. And you know, we left. I remember Cedric being there, said so I was really cool. And I was like, what did you think? He said it was good. We're walking back to get changed and AJ Styles was watching, you know, all the matches. He took it upon himself to come down the steps where he was sitting with his son in the bleachers. And um, he gave us some advice. And to me, like, that's cool. Like out of every match that he saw, he pulled me and JD Drake to the side and gave us, you know, jewels. Uh And to me, how many people can say not only did I wrestle in a, wwe ring you know but i got advice from one of the greatest wrestlers ever after that you know and of course jd went on to be you know AEW star and you know i've done some stuff with ring of honor so we never ended up there but just that advice means that aj saw something in us and to me that's dope as shit like when i look back i never got signed but man i've had a great career that i can write a storybook on 
You know, I, I got I was mentored by New Jack <laughs> of all people. And you know, that's that's how I made a connection with Murder One. Like that's why we're so close because we're both proponents of New Jack. And it's just like when I look at the things I've done, it really is cool. So yeah. I mean, there's nothing left to achieve. And honestly, 2024 is it for me. I don't know what the month will be or what the match will be. And whenever my last match happens, I'm not gonna announce it as such. I'm just gonna disappear because that's Shakespearean and I like that type of shit. Yeah. But I've done everything I wanted to do. There's nothing else. That's awesome. Could you talk us a little bit about New Jack and kind of your relationship and how that came about? New Jack. Um, I was working for High Spots. It was um, was a two thousand. It was the year that Mania was in Atlanta. It's when Taker wrestled Triple H. Okay. And to get our tickets, we had to work the convention for High Spots. So it was me. It was Eric Royal. It was uh, Stevie, Adam Page. It was Caleb Conley. We were all there just working the convention. I remember we, the hotel room, it was literally us sleeping head to foot, you know, in the bed, just all bunched in together. It was yeah. fucking dope. But everybody got a star that they got to work with for the convention, be their gopher, go get them things, take the tickets. And me and Stevie were the last two. And Jeff Rudd looked at me and Stevie and said, okay. I think there was Tito Santana and there was New Jack. And Stevie instantly said, I'll take Tito. So I got New Jack. And of course, there's a stigma with New Jack because he's so real. You're like, man, I got New Jack. This is going to be, and I'm wearing an Undertaker shirt and I'm looking like a Mark. <laughs> this is going to be interesting. So that's when I met Jack. And I remember the first thing he said to me was like, where are you from? I said, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. He said, I'm from Greensboro, North Carolina. And he was like, I ain't your daddy, am I? Hmm. And to me, that broke the ice immediately. It's like, this dude really thinks he's my father. He's like, yeah, I'm from Greensboro. You know, I didn't have a lot of escapades, you know, with women in my day. So I'm just making sure I don't, you know, child support. I ain't got no money. So that was hmm. my introduce, introduction to New Jack. And ever since then, he kind of took me under his wing when I told him I was a wrestler. He told me the same thing um, William Huckabee did. Boy, you, you too damn small to be doing this shit, ain't you? Um, then I seen him years later at a show in Tennessee. There was eight people that came to the show. Uh, I didn't really feel like giving a shit about my match. And I went out there and performed as such. And Jack came and grabbed me out the locker room and my opponent and read us the riot act for just, you know, you guys, I don't give a fuck if it's eight people or 8,000. You don't go out there and act like you don't give a shit. And the guy was terrified because, of course, you know, it's new Jack. Yeah. We, we hear the stories and he's like, do you think he's going to do anything to us? I was like, oh, he's not going to do anything to me. I don't know about you. <laughs> Just to shake him up. So yeah. Jack was, man, he was so fucking cool. Yeah, I that caught my because a lot of people like New Jack is almost like this Undertaker level enigma. And a lot of people I don't think really know who New Jack is other than like just the crazy shit that you hear. So yeah. always, always cool to um, hear some good stuff uh, about him. And then um, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I thought I, I cut you off. No. Um, so um, you mentioned that you've gotten to wrestle almost everybody on your list. What would be like your top like five moments of like getting in the ring with somebody where you're like, this is awesome for me. Um, when I wrestled ACH, 
that was really cool because this is another guy that I was watching on PWG and killing in Ring of Honor. And I had a, and I still have a tremendous amount of respect for ACH. You know, he was, uh, he was in the one piece the same way I was in the Dragon Ball Z. And, you know, we always had that, that kinship because of anime. Um, I wrestled Eddie Kingston like four or five times. And each time it's been amazing because he's a big proponent of King's Road. And, you know, Misawa is one of my heroes. So anytime we've wrestled, it's been compared to the stuff you see from Kabashi and Misawa. Because sometimes you find chemistry with someone where you just really don't give a fuck. You're like, hey, if you want to give me a suplex on the floor from the apron, I don't give a shit. <laughs> you want to shoot headbutt me? I'm feeling it. I don't care. Yeah. You know, and he's always been the match where I can cut loose because I know he's the same type of crazy as me. Um, let's see. I mean, anytime I wrestled, Jason Kincaid is amazing. Anytime I got, I got to wrestle Steve Carino, which was fucking cool. I think my favorite match as far as with a, a name talent was Adam Cole. Um, it's when I was wrestling for PWF. I was the Otani Openweight Champion. Uh-huh. Adam Cole's a Ring of Honor world champion. And I think this was one of his only independent shows that he did. And he only did it as a favor to Steve. And we went 30 minutes and he was, he's one of the coolest. Cause to me, you know, someone like that asks, what do you want to do? You're very reserved because you don't want to be the guy that says too much and upsets them. And I remember him being like, dude, I'm here to wrestle you do your shit. Don't, yeah. don't be so timid. Just what do you want to do? And, it's like, man, Adam Cole is cool. Even years after that match, I did some NXT stuff and he walked by and he was like, you know, Joe, what's up, man? And it's like just yeah, that guy to me, Adam Cole is one of the coolest human beings that you'll ever meet in wrestling. So, yeah, if I had to name a top five, that'd definitely be it. Awesome. That's a pretty freaking good top five. Um, and then uh, I've got two questions we always ask. Um the first question is, what is the weirdest DM that you've ever gotten? Hmm. Oh, it'd probably be the random dude that was asking for some ring-worn underwear yeah. or compression shorts. Or it was, I know the same, it's the same dude that was messaging, you know, I think he messaged Cedric. I think he may have messaged Caleb Conley. I don't remember who it was, but, you know, he asked me for some underwear and I thought he was like ribbing me. I was like, someone's ribbing me. Yeah. This isn't real. And I remember, you know, talking about it and other guys were like, nah, man, this dude will pay you for that. And I'm like, oh, so this dude was serious. And to me at the time, I'm like, people really. And now, you know, given what we know about wrestling, especially yeah. with Twitter, um, people yeah. are really weird with wrestlers. And that was. That was just strange having someone say, hey, Joe Black, do you have any ring worn underwear that you can sell me? Don't wash it. And it just, it creeped me the fuck out. I was like, what? Yeah, I, we've, that's pretty common. Is there like a, a price that you would be like, yeah, here you go? If I'm just being like an asshole, I'm like, yeah, sure. If you want them for $5,000, why the fuck not? I'll mail it to you in a damn box of some roses. But <laughs> $5,000, hey, make sure you uh, you send that, that Zelle first and I got you. Yeah. Just to humor them, but you know, knowing how people are with wrestling. I would probably get a notification from Zell that I got five G's. Yeah. So now I'm obligated to send you something. It's, <laughs> I love wrestling, man, but it's such a weird, weird world. It is so weird. Yeah. Uh, just from the, the minimal, like 
interaction of the locker rooms that we've been in. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and then more of a, of a serious but uh, question: Who are some wrestlers that you think more people need to know about? Um, you, you mentioned like Merrick Donovan and Tim. I feel like they're on the way up. But who are some people that you think people maybe don't know that definitely need to be on the radar? Alexander Moss, Trey Havoc, Movie Mike, Ashton Starr. Um, we'll see who else would I put on that list. Um, there was a time when Lucky Ali and James Alakai were on that list. Yeah. They're not on that list anymore. Um, there's this guy named Austin Towers down here in Georgia. He's seven foot tall, legit, um, who's really good. There's a guy named Trevor Eon who's really good. He's actually doing the Ashe show for Darius Lockhart um, on the first. So hopefully people can get an introduction to him. Um, you know, Kenway, who wears the beads too, Midwest guy, trained by Davy Richards um, and Mike Elgin. So, I mean, the kid is really good. Reminds you of a Kyle O'Reilly, yeah. just more of a douchey look. Sorry, Kenway, I love you. Um, but yeah, those will be the guys that the name just pops to the head like Trey Havoc and Alexander Moss, yeah. every promoter that I talk to. Of course, I mentioned Merrick and everybody else. Yeah. But Moss and Havoc to me, especially Moss and his promos, Ooh, I don't understand. Like seeing Alexander Moss work inspires me to like, okay, I gotta do some work tonight. Like hearing his promos make me say, okay, I know I'm a good promo, but I gotta do something, you know, better because this dude like Moss is so good. He moves already the way that WWE tries to teach guys to move. So for him, it's literally only a matter of time. Yeah. Once the right pair of eyes see him talk and see him work, he's going to be gone. So appreciate him while you have him, people. Um, yeah. Trey Havoc, the same way. You know, Merrick Donovan, I've never seen someone so intense. You know, even me, like he, he has me beat. Um, we already know O'Shea, how I feel about O'Shea. If you don't know about O'Shea Edwards, you need to get familiar. Um, Ashton Starr is one of the greatest talents I've seen that's not signed, which is crazy to me. Um, there's Owen Knight too, Danny Jordan. Um, there's a lot of good talent in Georgia and North Carolina that I feel aren't utilized enough. There's this tag team called Exotic Youth. Um, those guys are really good. They bring to mind Freebirds, like old school aesthetic. They're really good like all you got to do people is just you know look into georgia and north carolina independence that's where the stars are i'm not shitting on anybody else i'm biased come from north carolina and i reside in georgia please look up those names that i mentioned they are top tier talent they're yeah. they're great out of all of those trey havoc is a guy that i don't understand why like like he should be like everywhere yes so good and he's just not, and I don't get it. Um, Alexander Moss, of course, one of the nicest people I've met in wrestling. But once mm -hmm. he steps through that curtain, it's a motherfucker, and he knows how to control the crowd. He like, does. Uh, yeah, everybody that you've mentioned, definitely check out. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you uh, on those. Um, this has been really fun. Uh, I'd love to have you back on sometime to kind of dig in deeper because, like, when I mentioned, like, you go out in that those deep waters. I'm sure that there's barely anything that like we touched like very small parts like you saw at the end like you offhandedly mentioned new jack uh like like it was nothing so i'm sure that like there's a lot of more stories that i'd, I'd, love, I'd love to hear them but uh thank you so much um for taking the time to talk with us Definitely. Uh, 
uh, this was, I had a really uh, a blast. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you.